0: iran no In Ya te quitan o Neither
1: Hello and welcome to an especially festive edition of the Asian Cinema Film Club because, after all, it is Kaiju Christmas, the happiest time of year, no doubt. Of course, I am your host, Elwood Jones, and joining me, as always, is my uh, co-host, Mr. Stephen Palmer.
0: Ho, ho, ho. And uh, season's greetings to you, sir.
1: Thank you. Uh, Obviously, this is our second ever Kaiju Christmas, the first year that we did it. We previously looked at Destroyer Monsters, arguably the greatest Godzilla movie of all time. This time we switched the focus and gone to Godzilla's only real rival on the uh, Kaiju main stage, and that would be Gamera. As uh, so tonight we're going to be looking at Gamera Free, The Revenge of Iris, uh, which rounded out the 90s uh, trilogy. I believe I'm writing the same. We'll be obviously be talking about that a bit later in the show, but uh, before we obviously get into that, there's been many exciting developments uh for ourselves and many exciting sort of leases uh that we just want to obviously touch on first of all first off if you follow our facebook page who have been made aware for us folks in the uk that uh, amazon recently had a little bit of a price break on the criterion collection of Zakatoe. um so the box set dropped down like stupidly low it dropped down to about 23 pound i'm not sure if it's still that now but hopefully uh you were following our Facebook page and uh, managed to grab yourself the box set. I know that if you're like myself, you can probably expect it sometime in February, but uh, it seemed like it seemed like a really great offer, and uh, hopefully you all took advantage of it. Stephen, did you grab yourself some Zakatoe or do you...?
0: I did. I wasn't going to, and then I thought, it's 23 quid for, like, 23 films or something. <laughs> I know! So it was, it and... was just like, I've got a couple of them, Um it doesn't really matter if the rubbish does it. It's um it was just too silly to turn down. But like you say, the um the the, the the delivery time was a bit unusual for Amazon.
1: That's one that's one reason I put forward because it means I don't have to pay for it for two or three months so I've got time to find the money to uh pay for my frivolous spending. But uh yeah, I mean the Z the movies they are sort of like a staple of not only like Shambara cinema, but sort of the pop samurai genre as well uh the most recent one we had being the beat the cache uh in the sort of early 2000s and we've not really seen anything from the franchise since even though it's like one of the longest running franchises it's up there with Django as uh as having the most entries in it's its series, So the fact that you can get all of them collected on a really nice looking box set is even more advantage, especially because the distribution of these films, I don't think it ever really made it over to the UK. We got one or two, but we never got like a whole set uh, the way that this has been obviously offered. and. While it would, uh, I was hoping for similar price breaks We you know, like the Female Prisoner Scorpion series from Arrow and uh, the Battlestar Out Honours and Humanity, uh, both of which I kind of missed out on when they had that low introductory price break and now they're just like stupid trader prices unless you're like Steven and got really lucky and uh, picked them up cheap on eBay.
0: Yeah, yeah. You let it go, sir. Let it go. (laughs) How many episodes have we been going on about this set now? (laughs) Since about the beginning of the podcast. (laughs) Of course.
1: The other box set that is out as well at the moment is Once Upon a Time in China trilogy. Um, Now, it's unusual the fact they call it a trilogy when it's actually six films. So make that what you will. But uh, you can certainly get the Jet Li... Uh, first three films in a very nice box set,
0: and uh, who's actually put this one out? Do you know? Do you remember, Stephen? I'm holding it in my hand right now. It's just by Eureka. Now I forgot I'd ordered it because I didn't actually need it <laughs> because I've got a perfectly good box set of all six um, from China or Hong yeah. Kong from a few years ago. Obviously, these are Blu-rays. Um, it's actually got four films on it. Even though it calls it a trilogy, because <laughs> it's it's got Once Upon a Time in China and America, which is the yeah. sixth film, which is when Jet Li came back to it. But it doesn't really advertise it, except in like the fifth paragraph down on the back of the um, on the back of the box. Um, but it's got some nice it's got nice documentaries and extras. Um, I haven't looked how good it looks. It, I imagine it look as good as a Hong Kong film from. 91, 92, 93 looks, but they're classic films, and films that, um, we'll no doubt talk about, um, the, you know, Eureka have done a few of these sets recently, um, the Police Story ones, and Project A ones, that they did recently, um, they may have even been the people that put out the City Hunter Blu-ray, I can't remember. So, they obviously think there's a market for it.
1: Definitely so. I mean, the actual review of the box set, uh, you, you will be able to see it on our site. Uh, as of when this podcast is released, uh, David will be reviewing it as part of his Movie Vault series. And if you excuse the studio cats to summon an aggro, because they're also rather upset they didn't get the female prisoner box set either the actual series itself really well worth checking out as you said uh Jetli obviously starring in the first three films before stepping away and he was replaced by Vincent Zhao for the fourth and fifth films before Jetli obviously returned for once upon a time in America and China the fourth film is really good um, I really like it and certainly the second film in the series is sort of really noteworthy of having this legendary fight scene between Jet Li and um, Donnie Yen. Um, A rematch that we would have to wait all the way until Hero to actually see, but it's sort of like renowned as being like one of these standout fight sequences in martial arts cinema. The third film as well was also pretty bonkers. I think the only the only sort of one that I never really got on with is the sort of first one, ironically, and uh, it's kind of bizarre that it managed to still spawn this like huge uh, saga out of out of a film which I wasn't that particularly great to begin with, but certainly uh two, three and four are just real essentials if you're a fan of martial arts cinema so
0: Yeah, I'm not I'm not disappointed I picked up the box set. It'd be nice to see them, nice to see the extras. So I mean there are a lot of Wong Hai films. Um but these are these sort of stand alone, a bit of Jet Li, a bit of Rasmund Kwan. Um I'm happy. That's good.
1: Um, also, we, rather fittingly, because obviously it being Kaiju Christmas, we got a trailer for the latest installment in Legendary's Godzilla Saga, uh, Godzilla King of the Monsters, so we got to see footage of not only Godzilla, but also King Ghidorah, Rodan, and Mofra, and what looks like uh, Kimonga, which is the giant spider we see in both Destroy Monsters and Godzilla and, Godzilla and Son. Um, now, whether or not it's the Akamonga act- or not, uh, we wait to see what well, we saw with some legs coming out of the ground. And uh, nobody seems to be able to pin down exactly who that could be. So, very excited to see there's still some surprises. But after the initial trailer, which I thought was very lukewarm, I wasn't overly excited. I have to say that I was super excited after seeing the second trailer. But, I mean, uh, what did you make of it, Stephen? Do you get anything out of it?
0: I wasn't that I quite like the original trailer, but um obviously I'm easier to please because I'm not the core kaiju guy. I have to say, I was a little bit disappointed because it looks a bit dark and gloomy and is um obviously they're sort of they're doing this sort of legendary universe. Um so we had the Skull Island Kong film which trailered this, which was just a load of batshit load of fun.
1: Yes, definitely.
0: And uh Moving the tone back to something more akin to the um the last Godzilla film I'm a little worried about. However, Cast looks great, the monsters look great, um I see a bit of uh, uh Mothra in there. I'm happy with that. So um yeah, I'll I'll be going to see it, that's for sure.
1: I, I mean the thing I really liked about the show is the fact that they made these monsters seem generally terrifying. Which is something I wasn't I was not expecting. Um, especially when you consider all of these monsters were really hit, the sort of their prime during the shower era, so it's a little ropey, a little bit of fun. So, to have these monsters have real sort of presence and, and weight, and certainly when you look at characters like Rodan, who's always this goofy looking eagle, to see him like decimating cities and you see him like coming out of the volcano, and it's just really, really cool, especially when he does the barrel roll. There's just so much to enjoy in this, this trailer. And the same fact it's not giving anything away still, it's just really sort of setting up some interesting things and i'm really excited to see when it comes out i think this will be one of those few films i actually leave the house to go and see which is always a rarity because i don't tend to see much of the cinema these days
0: no no i'll 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 definitely be there too and i suspect we'll have a special edition of the podcast just to um talk about it because how many kaiju films do we get
1: this is the thing i mean it's always nice to have a giant big giant monster movie especially one that knows its subject matter I mean, obviously, we had, like, Pacific Rim. uh, We obviously had Kong Skull Island, as you said. So, I'm just really excited to see where this goes. And I just hope it has more of a focus on the actual monsters this time rather than a soldier's journey like the previous Godzilla movie that we had. So...
0: Yeah, I was I was really disappointed. With that. I mean, when when Godzilla got on screen, it was great. The first act, when you had uh, what's his name from Breaking Bad and Malcolm in the middle in it, that was good. Yeah, but the, the middle section, yeah, Brian the Cranston bit was good. But as soon as the um, spoilers killed him off, the film dragged <laughs> horrendously until the second half of the final act.
1: I mean, also on the Godzilla kick, uh, the Godzilla anime, which has been sort of very decisive. Uh, amongst fans, people have either liked it or they hated it. Uh, the third entry, Godzilla Planet Eater, is going to be on Netflix as of January, so a nice birthday treat for myself, and uh, hopefully a turn up for the people who haven't been enjoying it so far. So I'm really excited to see because this one's obviously going to introduce um, King Ghidorah. The previous one gave us Mechagodzilla, so it's going to be interesting to obviously see what they do with uh, King Ghidorah in this one, especially because when it's come to the actual kaiju, the animation and the movement of these creatures hasn't been the best. Uh Godzilla himself has been perhaps a little more lumbering mountain than the sprightly fellow that we're kinda of used to seeing in these films, so but um more exciting obviously we are now at the end of the year and we started to start seeing a lot of the top 10 and the best of lists have started coming out some say a little early since we've still got a few weeks left in the year but uh eastern kicks have started producing their top 10 uh, which steven you obviously are inside man for so have we got things to look forward to in the top 10 do you reckon
0: um, we have, um, yeah, so this year I have taken part, which I didn't do last year, um, it's a very complicated process in how the films get shortlisted and chosen, one of the films I reviewed made the final list, but I also, the film that is number one is the film that I also chose to be number one, so I'm very happy with that. And there'll be a review of me of Jocko wild Satan's Slaves, which I can say now, because list, the list is going to be complete before this podcast comes out. Um, it's a nice mix of the art house and the crowd pleasers. Um, I know sometimes these lists... Democracy's a bit of a bitch, especially when you get a bunch of critics around, which is something else we might talk about in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> um, and sometimes I think... The, the crowd pleasing genre films don't always get their due um, but I think this year we've got a nice a nice mix of of some really good genre stuff and some um, more art housey films but are definitely worth your time
1: fantastic um as of the time of recording uh, they'd already announced their pick for 10.2 on the list was the night comes for us which we discussed in our previous episode uh so if you uh, haven't discovered this film on netflix already definitely go check it out and you can certainly listen back to our review as well um i mean the night comes for us it's still doing great business especially amongst the fans like the raid um and the headshot so I mean, do you think it sort deserved a place on the top ten movies of the year?
0: I think we had a little bit of internal debate on the older internal Eastern Kicks website about whether it deserved or not, but it basically got a lot of love by a lot of people, not just Eastern Kicks people, but, you know, across the spectrum, you know. I quite liked it, if you remember, <laughs> which I think surprised you <laughs> a little bit, and um, people like James and Andy both liked it. So, I, I you know, it's it's legitimately a nation film it's legitimately successful i think it lacks in certain places but as a bit of high octane action i think not much beat it in that regard this year so yeah definitely i think it deserves its place
1: looking back at the year that we've had steven what would you say out of the 12 films that made up this this block of uh viewing for ourselves what has been the highlight for yourself what's been your favorite episode
0: Blimey, that's caught me out.
1: <laughs> I can give you a minute if you want. If you want a minute, because I've can, i got yeah. mine ready to go here. So. Well,
0: why don't we do yours first? Okay.
1: Uh, well, this is probably only going to add to your ego, but my highlights of the year has, was the classic. And I'm a, kind of afraid to say that, because it now means that I'm just going to be bombarded with Korean melodrama forevermore, just because I said I liked one of them. But no, if you go back and listen to our classic, I think it was probably one of our... Uh, our most fun episodes to date. Um, now, the classic obviously being a, as we say, it's a Korean melodrama, and it goes on for a fair bit. Yet, there was something about this film that was just so bonkers and insane, um, and so watchable at the same time. The fact it's a long film, but it's also a very watchable film. Um, I think that uh, it was a, it was sort of like a real sort of standout for myself. Uh, if I was to sort of pick a, another one, though, uh, it would probably be the episode we recorded after that, so episode 18, which would be for Perfect Blue, uh, but I'm just a huge Satoshi Kon fan, so I think that would be kind of a, an obvious episode, but um, no. Number 17, the classic, was probably my highlight of uh, this year so far, but what about yourself, Stephen? Do you have a favourite episode, Tom?
0: Well, I, I really enjoyed the classic episode as well, because... Um, uh, It was almost done as a, a dare to our special guest. (laughs) I mean, almost as a reaction to what we were just talking about. You know, about choosing a film that I didn't think would appeal to either of you. And what we ended up with was probably one of our longer episodes as well, wasn't it? We all found something in it. We had tons to talk about. and I was really surprised how much you guys liked it. And in a way, it's like a book club, isn't it? I've bought this film and I'm thinking, oh dear, I don't know if the guys are going to like this. But I thought, well, the worst thing going to happen could be a complete train crash and no one's hurt. But actually, the fact that you both actually enjoyed it, you, you know, yourself and Zoe, you both looked, oh, actually, that wasn't too bad. And we had plenty to talk about and we learnt lots as we were going along. That was, that was really good. I also really liked. I'm not sure, does episode 12 count? Yeah, in February. Yeah, 12 will count. Yeah, um, where we talked about Pedicab Driver. And I really like that, because Sammo Hung isn't somebody I'd really explored before. I was aware of him. He's been in plenty of films that I'd seen. And when you picked it up, when you chose it, I thought, oh dear, that's that's probably a little bit hardcore Hong Kong, Kung Fu, Chop sui sort of film for me. But it was really freaking enjoyable. <laughs> and um that yeah that was that was that was a that was the episode where i you know thought oh i want to go and get hold of this film properly now and um explore it a little more so um that was probably mine yeah pedicab driver
1: yeah i mean pedicab driver i think mean, he was bizarre because there was a pick i remember i remember the first half of the film better than the second half because it had some real weird tonal shifts in in that film but again the Martial arts work in it is just real classic summer hung stuff, and there's some really good comedy in it as well. It's uh, so it's definitely a fun, fun little movie, uh, and one worth do- certainly making the effort to sort of track down. Uh, be it, for, be it on the made in Hong Kong VHS or if you can get an import on DVD or Blu ray, it's definitely one worth checking out. Um, now which would you say was the least favorite episode of this season because. For myself, the film which I enjoyed the least this year would be The Place Promised in Our Early Days, uh, which was episode 15. Oh.
0: Yeah, so you're, give, you're giving me the best episode and the I, worst episode. Right? Know, I, it's like, it's, <laughs> like, a, it's like a
1: hug and a kick to the nuts all in one. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Place Promised in Our Dreams, a really sumptuous animation from uh, the makers of Your Name. Um, this is a film just so... It, it has emotional notes, but it's so... Caught up in its own mythos and randomness that I just could not make out of it. It just kept fe- feeling like every fifteen minutes I was watching the start of a different anime, and that's what really sort of detracted from it. And I just really struggled to sort of get really invested in this. But I know there's people out there who really do like it. Um, but um, and I think soon you were a fan of this one, and this one are more diverse ones.
0: Um. Yeah. I mean. I. I, I full responsibility for picking it um the minute I re-watched it I thought oh this isn't gonna go down well (laughs) (laughs) my memories of it were somewhat different I mean I still stand by it as a film that's worth seeing um but it might not have even been the best film to choose from that director um I think for me The one I actually was most disappointed by was probably number fifteen, the place promised our early days, I think. <laughs> and that was my pick. Um other than that though, I think we've had a really strong you know, I don't think all of the films have been have maybe sold both of us. You know. Mm. I'm still not I'm still not buying the killer. No. <laughs> that was why I was surprised um,
1: you didn't say. I was I was so expecting you to go. No, you I really enjoyed, didn't like the I killer. I enjoyed the
0: film. No, I enjoyed the film, and I enjoyed the episode, and I enjoyed recording the episode. It's just, I could spend a long time picking holes in it. When we did Perfect Blue, that was another episode. I mean, it's an amazing film, and I'm not sure we really dug down into it enough. Um, I don't know, one day there'll be a... Another edit of it, <laughs> we do it again. But frankly, I think we've had a pretty strong, you know, even even films like Turtles are surprisingly fast swimmers, which I didn't think you would you would like. No, I think we both came out of it enjoying, didn't we? Um,
1: I was I was disappointed by Turtles are surprisingly fast swimmers. Ultimately, there was issues with it that I, I didn't have, and it was kind of a, kind of annoying that I I picked it because I was I was kind of it was one that I wanted to see for a while, and there was just elements in it which didn't work me and there was and it was it was annoying because we had some had some a couple of great female leads in it but we just had this bumbling spy couple in it who had just really took me out of it and um i think again i think it's just one of those things that i'm gonna come back to in a, in a few months and probably may have a different take on it but as I said, it's it would always be a toss-up between between those two episodes, either The Place Promised in Our Early Days or Tales of Surprise and Fast Swimmers, which was sort of the least enjoyable, but that being said, it was still a very enjoyable year of cinema that we've had on the show. Um, there's no sort of pics that have been like, oh my god, that was like the worst thing ever. There's just things that have been either great or things that just were flawed, um, I found, found this year, so that's kind of where I'm standing as it as it were, but as of yet, we've still to uh, see what you made in Gamma 3, so maybe this will all change by the end of the episode. So
0: It might too. Okay. <laughs> um, it won't. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, before we go and break those, Stephen, I mean, is there anything else that's sort of standing out for yourself since the last episode? Any releases or anything?
0: Well, yeah. So, sort of going back to the um, Eastern Kicks Top 10. I had to watch a lot of films in the, in the last um since we last spoke um I'll just give a shout out to a few of them um first up as I just hinted joko amwa's um remake of an old Indonesian 1980s horror film Satan slaves um the original film was I don't know shall we say Unique for being based within the Islamic faith rather than a traditional Indonesian or even a Western Christian set of mythology. Um, the remake is brilliant. Now, I watch a lot of horror films. I do jump at jump scares. I do get grossed out at gross stuff. Sorry, Zoe. <laughs> but I don't actually get scared very often. I had to turn this one off when I first watched it because I was... Bricking myself in the in the watching it in my bedroom late at night so really good another film i think i talked about i was about to watch it which is um one cut of the dead which says it's a zombie comedy a la Shaun of the dead it's not it's a film about indie filmmaking and it's fucking brilliant um that's given us an e on itunes hasn't it um <laughs> i think we only hit that before <laughs> this <there, so. laughs> I finally got round to watching Daughter of the Nile, which is a slow cinema job from Hu Sua Sen, Taiwanese sort of new wave director. I won't be bringing it to the film club. Really enjoyable, but um, yeah, in in the same realms as things like, that we might have found on that top 25 list, but really enjoyable, so I've had for a while. I'm an American film called Origin Story, um, which is about... It's a documentary about um, a Laotian american comedian um, who's quite big in podcasts and YouTube and stuff like that, um, having a journey back to her... finding her father, who's still in Laos. And finally, uh, a film from Vietnam called Go Go Sisters, which is actually a remake of a korean film called sunny um sunny is a brilliant film and gogo sisters for a remake is even better it's a sort of feel good movie set both in uh, i think sort of mid 80s vietnam and then sort of 20 years previous um about a group of girls growing up and where they've come now there's some sadness there's some laughter there's some dancing there's it's just a huge amount of fun and until i saw one cut of the dead that was going to be my film of the year so i've watched a lot but luckily it's all been really good actually there's a couple of others but i'm not going to waste any more time on them but i've um, I've, I've had a, a very lopsided year where december early december and late november have been full of really good new films
1: yeah, that's cool. I've got stuff to watch, but at the same time, I've had stuff that's been going off the movie channel before um, I've had a chance to get around to watching it. But so it's sort of like being a, a weighing up between do I watch the, sort of this Western cinema that I'm going to end up having either like, pay to watch later or hope that it shows up on Netflix or uh, do I delay. Um do I uh, sort of run the gamut and just check out the agency Because I've got a fair few interesting things. I think I mentioned on the last podcast, the last podcast, the fact that I've got such a, things, such as like the Piper uh, still to watch. Um, uh, so I'm really looking forward to getting into that, especially because we've obviously got the festive season coming up. So uh, hopefully find some time when I'm not, you know, cooking for in-laws and having people descend on me to sponge off my hospitality to. Uh, get some get some film watching done because you know I've got no shortage of films to watch. It's just not got the time there to watch them. So uh, hopefully by the time we record this ne- the next uh, show, I have some uh, feedback on on uh, some of those bits that have been sort of sitting in the watch pile for a bit too long. We are going to take a quick break now. Uh, when we return, though, we will be diving into tonight's selection, which is Gamma Free: The Revenge of Iris. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Cinema Recall Podcast here at ThatMomentIn.com. I am your host, Laverne, and on each episode, myself, along with a guest, we'll be talking about an iconic scene from a classic movie. Which films will we be discussing? Well, that's all up to you, because before each episode airs, we're going to be giving you a poll of great flits to choose from. Whichever one gets the most votes, that's the one we'll be talking about, so... Listen to the Cinema Recall podcast on the site thatmomentin.com or on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or Podomatic, or SoundCloud. Thank you very much and hope you enjoy it. I went back. You, of course, are still the Sensation Cinema Film Club. This, of course, is Kaiju Christmas. And tonight we are talking about Gamma Free The Revenge of Iris, the 1999 film, and obviously the Fed in the 90s trilogy of Gamera films. Uh, this, in total, is the 11th Gamma film, and it was the follow-up to Gamera 2, Attack of the Legion. And this was one of the few Gamera movies that actually got distribution to the UK. Um, ironically, they missed off Guardian of the Universe, which was the first part of this trilogy, went straight into Gamma 2, Attack of the Legion, and then gave us Gamma 3, The Revenge of Iris, and kind of expected uh, British fans to, you know, know what the hell's going on, but the film itself is is uh, directed by shizuke Kaneko, who is not only obviously known uh, for this film he has also did a film that we've also reviewed on the show which was uh death note he did the 2006 live adaptation he also directed the previously mentioned uh, gamma Garden of the universe in 95 gamma 2 attack legion in 96 as well as azumi 2 death love um and he also did a single Godzilla movie with Godzilla, Mothra, and King Ghidorah, Got giant monsters all out at attack in two thousand and one. So definitely, he is a man with kaiju stock. And uh, this third film, you can actually watch without having seen the other films in the trilogy. It is very much a standalone film, as it and it makes actually quite a few references to the previous films. that fills in a lot of the gaps, uh, including a sort of sort of uh, slideshow montage at the start of the film where we get to see the parts of Garden of the Universe, um, but completely (laughs) removes any footage from Attack of Legion. So the film itself, it uh, features this young girl called uh, Anya, who basically, she holds this big grudge against Gamera because he inadvertently killed her parents and her pet cat uh when he was fighting uh Gaius in the first film of the trilogy and since then she sort of like really sort of bottled up her rage and finds a way to sort of finally strike back at the fire breathing space turtle Gamora, uh when she discovers a monster which she names iris which forms a psychic bond with her and grows to ginormous size and Ultimately, uh, goes on a sort of collision course with Gamma as the two sort of battle it out for sort of domination in what is hinted at. sort of having a larger mythological setting to this sort of showdown between them. But I mean, Stephen, what did you obviously make of uh, Gamma Free
0: Revenge Virus? I bloody loved it. Fantastic! <laughs> I bloody loved it. I so I had previously seen the first film in the series, okay. um, Guardian of the Universe, and I bloody loved that. In fact, (laughs) I love the whole trilogy. Yeah, they've got scope and storyline and giant monsters and just all sorts of interesting things going on in them that sometimes kaiju movies don't have. I mean, one could argue it's a little overpacked in plot lines and psychic people and weird shit going on but um, I know, uh, hugely enjoyable I mean I know it's quite well thought of isn't it amongst uh, the, the, the kaiju intelligentsia um, as a rule but there's, there's no mistake it's a hugely enjoyable film
1: Yeah I mean this is I mean first of all I mean well, it obviously looks on the surface like a Godzilla movie I mean obviously the fact that you know it's a it's a kaiju movie so it's a giant monster stomping on Tokyo um, the sort of noticeable differences first off with the gamma movies is the fact that the gamma movies are very high on sort of like blood and gore and also uh, on the collateral damage as we obviously discussed a bit later in the film but um, in this film it has to be said Gamma's a little clumsy when it comes to the world saving effort and I mean Gamera is known as not only the garden of the universe, but also the friend to all children, uh, which is an interesting tagline to say the least. And with this nineties trilogy it was sort of a more darker take on the character, uh, much like the Godzilla movies of of this era as well. They both sort of brought darker turns to these characters, and certainly we see this in the fact that when um the whole sort of like Fuel for the film being the fact that it's this girl who just wants revenge on Gamma. She's like, he sees, uh, she sees Gamma as this just this destructive presence. And at the same time, we've got these occultists, uh, Miss Asakura and uh, Kirarata Shinya, who believe that Gamma is this evil spirit. So we've got a lot of really random themes thrown into this movie. Uh, even though you could sort of like boil it down to just. Gamma Fights Monster of the Week, uh, which in this case is a. I mean, Essence. He's. uh, Iris is kind of like a. Was it an Essence sucking multi tentacled uh, octopus thing?
0: So, what I thought Iris was like (laughs) was like a Pokemon (laughs) that that, that sort of powered up to extreme levels, really. Evolved, didn't it? From from this kind of. a kind of suggestive looking multi-tentacled creature and there's a little bit of hentai goes on doesn't it it's a tentacle or two that that creeps up a school skirt and stuff like that a little bit of that's going on and then sort of becomes this gigantic i don't know what you call it really sort of energy vampire yeah beast <laughs> um, but it's very interesting it's very different to uh to to the the sort of the, the sort of dinosaur I know it's a giant turtle with tusks, but you know, but uh, it, it, you know, Gamora looks more like a dinosaur unless he's not flying, unless he is flying, and then he looks like a spaceship.
1: <laughs> it's, it's, it's when Gamera flies. It, it he obviously has the two modes. He has the flying terminal mode, which is where he uses his front flippers to sort of steer, and his back legs become giant rocket boosters, and he also has his alternate uh, fly mode, which is basically where he just spins around and can somehow manoeuvre with great ease. On top of this, I mean, gamma obviously is able to breathe fire, uh, which is uh, it's kind of an unusual power, because it seems to go everywhere but where he intends it to go half the time, as we see with, like cities just being engulfed in flames people being blown up into the sky and generally whenever in this film especially whenever gamma gets into a fight it's just like massive collateral damage we see buildings being knocked people being like crushed in rubble and it seems like he causes more trouble to the people of japan than he's supposed to be helping them so it's uh it's not surprising the fact that the film also takes a like these has these little offshoots where you have people being interviewed and they Ask them what they think of Gamera, and they're not too pleased with Gamera. It has to be saved, even though he's obviously saving them from a rival giant monster.
0: And had saved them from Legion and the Gaios before. It, was a, it, was, it, did, it did feel a bit like, with three movies in, we're, oh, I don't know, five, six hours into this story, if you take the other yeah. two films, and they're still questioning him. <laughs> it was like... I a bit a, they shouldn't have had this discussion maybe in the last movie I don't know but this one really did feel like um, it was more like a sequel to the first movie like you talked about the beginning when they're sort of doing the the, the, the re- recap of what happened before it's all about the first movie and um, uh, what's the girl called what did you say her name was um, uh, character. No, no no obviously she's back in it but um but they sort of retrospectively put in um, Ayana, don't they? Oh, yeah,
1: that's right. Um, who has yeah. that sort of psychic link with Gamera. So she makes an interesting counterpoint, because obviously with um, Ascura having a psychic link with Iris, so you've got these two sort of characters, even though Gamera no longer has that uh, that psychic link with uh, Anyara. Any- Anyana?
0: So Ayana so is the girl with Iris... And I can't remember. No. Uh, yes, yeah, and... Sorry, I'm
1: getting all confused here today. Yes, you are. <laughs> Anyana is a it's the girl who is with Iris because she obviously gets she's um, the one who discovered it So she's one holding the the grudge there.
0: Yeah. But then there is another girl from the first film who had the psychic powers to control Gamera in the first film when she comes back but she hasn't like you say, she hasn't got the powers of I mean there's a lot of bloody unpacking. in some of this. There's a lot of sort of people floating around. And actually Gamora is barely in it. He's like this force of nature that just appears over the horizon sometimes or behind a city block to knock it down.
1: Yeah, because, I mean, Gamma's main sort of focus for the... for the I would say the first three quarters of this film, movie, he's too busy staying with the Gaios still, who, while they're obviously not a main feature of this film, they're still very much a presence. And it's... We're led to believe that they're a result of mana, which is like the, this life force produced by the Earth, and that Gamma is a creation of mana, and that's why he hangs around Japan, because it's like this central hub for mana. And uh, th- there's a lot of this... It's, how many, How do you describe it? It's sort of like spiritual... New age bullshit. Yes, yeah, this this new age <laughs> nonsense is sort of thrown around. Uh, so if you've ever played a JRPG, sort of like Final Fantasy, then you probably know a lot of this stuff already because it's the sort of thing that's thrown around in there a lot. So,
0: Yeah, and there's that weird thing at the beginning where you see all these... I don't know... Uh, corpses of previous Gameras and I sort of say ah oh, yes that must be because they the the people that created the first one had lots of versions and you think oh maybe they're all going to come up and it, but nothing's ever done with it it's like a, there's there's a, so much effort put into the backstory, isn't there which is really strange
1: it's bizarre there's this really bizarre opening as you said we've got the Gamera graveyard at the start and nothing's ever really made of that and at the end, we end with this swarm of Gaios, like thousands of Gaios descending on Japan, and we never get to see what happens with that either because they go into a completely different saga after this film. So it's that's
0: right. It, it sort of ends, doesn't it? And you think, oh, is there going to be a fourth film? But no, there isn't. It's 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 like yeah, Gamera, just keep on doing what he's got to do. <laughs> and the battle is never ending, and it's a it's a bit of a downer in some ways, isn't it?
1: I, yeah, I know what you what you're saying. It is, and it's. I think it kind of detracts from from the film in the in the way the fact that we have these unanswered questions by the by the end of this this trilogy. You would have thought that being a trilogy that all the sort of answers of the series would all be sort of wrapped up and everything to be brought together to this big sort of final uh, sort of showdown. But it's not the case. The guys are still pestering the Earth. Uh, the only thing that gets a result of resolved in the fact that iris gets um, gets her, um, her peripheral ass handed to her by gamma after the inevitable beatdown of gamma as these things go you know our hero monster gets beaten down only to swing it back in the final act and um yeah i mean that the final sort of showdown this which is really the last 15 minutes of the of the film how do you find that uh sort of showdown because it's very sort of different than the sort of kaiju showdowns where we're probably obviously used to from like looking at things like destroy monsters where it's sort of like like these super monster sized smackdowns with uh, this one it's just very sort of animalistic it's these two sort of monsters basically charging each other and sort of like wrestling and trying to get the upper hand on each other it's not very much a, it's much of a spectacle as we've like come from expect from like the Godzilla movies for example
0: it is different, yeah, and I think the wrestling idea that you just put forward is probably the best way of describing it um I mean there's something about just the scale of them, which isn't always so quite often what we see is in these sort of films is that the the monsters sort of face off in a desert or in some barren landscape, don't they, and they sort of run at each other or shoot fire at each other. this is a they're in the city, aren't they? And yeah, and they're above the, you know, and, and it really feels like there's these, these monstrous, uncontrollable things. And yes, they can shoot fire and fly and suck everyone's energy out and all that kind of thing. But at the end of the day, it's just—it's a very physical. But um, I'm not—I'm trying not to use the word realistic because. <laughs> It's not. <laughs> but... <laughs> Within well, this
1: world, it's got a sense of realism to it.
0: In indeed, in a hyperrealistic way, it's very realistic. Quite unlike sort of like, a lot of the of the Godzilla movies that I've seen, for example. Yeah. You know, when when we looked at Destroyer Monsters, they're all out there in the middle of nowhere. Is it even on Earth that one? Yeah, that is. Yeah. That is on Earth, but but you know, and, and the human beings are watching it from miles away. Or there might be some tanks or something that turn up, but you know there's a distance between where it's happening and human beings. Whereas this, this is in and amongst us, and there's some brilliant shots. Um, it almost, do you know what it reminded me of most? It reminded me of the original Godzilla film. Yeah. In in many ways, you know the the scenes in that early bit where Gamera's taking on the Gaios and he kills twenty thousand people. <laughs> It takes time to save one little boy, <laughs> which is another weird thing that it does. Um, you know, he, he appears from behind skyscrapers, and he looks genuinely monstrous and, and nearly realistic. And I think the fighting is also in, in that um, in that envelope as well.
1: Yeah, I think with the the actual Sebastian sort of scenes, as you said, I mean, with the with the Godzilla movies, if there was like battles are in the city you would always have scenes of them like people like running to sort of godzilla bunkers uh so to speak everyone gets into safety in this film people are just like running because this chaos is happening around them the fact that these monsters are battling each other and these people are sort of caught in the so the in the crossfire here and as you said it is very similar to the original godzilla movie which despite what people assume the Godzilla movie, movies to be. The original Godzilla movie is just like a very sort of straight monster movie. And the fact that we have seen... We have, like, the shots of the field hospitals and they, all these, like, injured people and these really sort of uh, sober moments throughout that film uh, compared to, obviously, the sort of more hokey sort of aspects that came with the later films, um, especially, like, in the Shara era and... With this film, um, it's as I say, it's completely different. You know, people are getting caught in the crossfire and we see them being blown or up or caught, crushed under rubble and it, as you say, it's bizarre that we have that one a child who gets uh, sort of saved and it's kind of like uh, them trying to work in the audience. It's sort of like, see, he's still the friend to all children.
0: Yeah, when you said that, then that kind of made sense. You're like, oh, Gamera, he saved me, and you think. I'm surprised I even noticed you mate. He's about four hundred feet tall. <laughs> it was like a bit strange, but then the whole film is full of these weird little moments, isn't it? Um, like the game developer. Can we talk about him?
1: Yes, because <laughs> um, apparently the Sega Dreamcast is what's going to save the world.
0: Well, there's a there's a huge advert there for the Sega Dreamcast. <laughs> um, and indeed, um, I'm a bit of a retro computer guy. The the Dreamcast Junkyard website. Which is sort of a big, a popular hub for people who still love their Dreamcast, has a whole um, article written about this uh, this <laughs> guest starring performance by the uh, by the Sega Dreamcast, um, uh, in in quite an amusing way. But yeah, that is a bit weird. But there's this guy. He's a, he's like a developer, and he's is he part of the cult? I can't remember. No, he
1: seems to be. I mean, he's he's um
0: voice of madness
1: I don't I mean as I said it's hard to say what um, what where he uh, sort, of, sort of comes into it um, I think he's sort of like a friend of Mayomi who is this scientist who's obviously following Gamera um, and uh, forms it he's formed this sort of like partnership with Asagi due to her own sort of connection to Gamera and um for some reason, she seems to know know this guy, and uh, is able to. Cause, like, she receives this this disc through, and um, ap- apparently, it's this this game, and it's uh, been used as a way to simulate like different conditions on Earth and how it would affect like Gaios, uh reproduction on Earth. From what I gathered, it is um, it's a really bizarre sequence, and the fact that we would obviously go with. Uh,
0: well that's the sort of game that Sega were putting out at the time, and that's probably why the Dreamcast failed, because they had too many um world building simulation games. <laughs> Do you know the
1: Dreamcast? The Dreamcast was epic. I loved
0: mate, it. I'm looking at my Dreamcast now. Don't you worry about it. But it was really weird and out of place in that film and it was <laughs> like this um it was like this advert. And it does match up. I mean it was this is nineteen ninety nine, isn't this film? And in Japan yeah, it came out it came out late 1998, so i think it really is a product placement and it's as subtle as it in a spam um but this guy this game developer is sort of he's in a different film to everybody else. <laughs> it's true <laughs> everyone else is taking it very seriously and 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 fairly in a fairly po-faced way he's hamming it up like it's pantomime season up until his death where he goes ooh, isn't it scary and <laughs> gets crushed it's it's um, very weird
1: well the whole film just tonally is, is weird and it doesn't get it's not helped at all by the dub track uh, for, for this one because I mean this film was put out by AVM here in the UK uh, I'm not too sure about the states but the dub track for this film is absolutely horrible um, if you can watch this film subtitles then I definitely go that route because the dub track is just like it doesn't yeah, ever seem to I, match I it only, up
0: I only managed to get a dub version and i hate watching films of dubs um I add an element of humor to it as dubbing tracks normally do but i i will watch it again when i can find um find a subtitle version for sure
1: so now the actual sort of fighting just going back to those again i mean the camera work as well it's all very sort of low shot so we get a very great sense of scale we also get uh a really nice combination of both rain and fire which is something i've not really seen in any other kaiju movie um and we also get real sort of blending of both cgi effects and traditional suit work for the monsters um here taking the obviously the role of uh of iris uh we had akira oshira um who was Wore the Gamma suit for Attack of Legion and would go on to work on Godzilla, Mothra, and King Ghidorah Giant Monsters All Attack, where he played uh, King Ghidorah. Um, he also did some work on Carmen Rider as well. In the Gamma suit here, we have uh, the legendary hero uh, Fumi Fukazawa. I'm going to apologise as always if I mispronounce any of these names. Who was part of the Red Action Club, and he did a whole bunch of work on like the Super Sentai series and the Kamen Rider. Um, series as well. So he was someone who's definitely associated with the like Tokusatsu sort of um, series. And uh, it's really, he does a really good job as as gamma, even though he really hasn't got a lot to do in this film. Because, and I think this may be a little distracting for people who sort of come into the thinking, oh, I'm going to watch a Gamera movie and then only get really sort of like 15 minutes of Gamera. But at the same time, it's not like when we saw the American Godzilla remake where we thought we'd been cheated. Here, the film where it uses uh, Gamera, where it uses Iris, it really sort of makes sense, and it didn't feel like I was having, I was losing anything by not having Gamma be the sort of like overwhelming presence throughout the film, even though it is obviously his name on on the uh, title there.
0: No, I agree. There's a, there's another thing. Um, am I right in thinking these three films were distributed by Toho, where? Gamma is is actually Dae's property. Yep.
1: Um, yeah, he's a, he's a property to Dae and obviously the, the and as you said, these films distributed by Tohu obviously are Godzilla's um, production place.
0: Yeah, it's just a, I just want I wonder why that was was it just about money or something like that because they just there's just a production quality to all three films that puts them a, a class above I think. And um, I just wondered why. What, what what was going on in Godzilla Land at this time?
1: Uh, obviously, I mean, Godzilla Land, <laughs> it sounds like a magical place, doesn't it? <laughs> so obviously, uh, 1999, greatest uh, movie uh, ever. Uh, obviously, for Godzilla, we're looking at the millennium period. So these are really sort of like dark movies. And if you look at these films, again, there is... Like we see with uh, with this film, there's that blending of CGI effects as well as traditional suit work. And for the Godzilla films, it's really the they're sort of like picking up where the first attempt by the Americans to remake, so the 97 uh, Godzilla. So they start off obviously with Godzilla 2000 Millennium, which is at least 1999. Um, that's followed up by Godzilla against Mechagodzilla and Godzilla Tokyo SOS. Um, and then we end... With what should have really been the sort of the final film in like the whole series, which was 2004's Godzilla Final Wars, uh, which is by uh the same director of Versus and Azumi
0: It is, that's the one where they give um uh, American Godzilla a a, a, a little <laughs> a little disrespect,
1: yeah. Uh, right <laughs> uh, Ketamuri, I mean, he he was like so beyond honored to be asked to do Godzilla Final Wars, I mean, he. Still, like, proclaim the honor of being asked to do a Godzilla movie as being the same as like a British director being asked to direct a bomb movie. He was like completely like in awe of the fact he was asked to do it, and the fact that he gave us basically an update version of destroy All monsters. In the fact that with Final Wars, we have every monster from the Godzilla back catalog coming together, and just you know. Again, to showcase their stuff, and for a lot of these monsters, I mean, it would have been like twenty odd years since we saw them. So, you got to see like monsters like Kidor uh, Kumanga, um, or uh, spiger as it was uh, bizarrely dubbed here in the UK, which is obviously the giant spider. We got to see uh, Angler, who's my obviously my all time favourite. We and uh, as you said, most memorable, we got to see Godzilla versus um, Zilla in a fight that lasts all of a couple of seconds as Godzilla goes on his round round the world trip beating up monsters around the globe and he faces Zilla in Sydney, Australia and uh basically just blasts him into the New York, uh into the Sydney Opera House and blows him up. Uh but it was you know it's a fun little nod and uh I know there's people out there who don't really like because they're final wars but i had a real had a lot of fun with it and i think it's one we're going to look at at uh a later date but certainly tonally these films match what we're obviously seeing with this trilogy is a darker kaiju movie i mean gonna the obviously the sort of i don't like to use the word hokey but they were sort of like the more sort of fun movies of like the Shadow, which was like 1954 to 1975 so when you've got things such as, as you said, you've got things such as like Destroy Monsters, um, All Monsters Attack, um, and like Godzilla vs. Gigan, those sort of like fun little mon- monster movies that are really what sort of got me into Godzilla movies to begin with. And they, it's sort of really from that sort of point on, they sort of get a lot darker as we see things such as like 84 giving us like the Return of Godzilla, um, which makes Godzilla evil again. And uh, this sort continues in we, we even though they're obviously like darker movies, we get some real sort of classics in this sort of period with things such as like Godzilla versus King Ghidorah, which uh, gave us Mecha King Ghidorah. So, but uh, I mean, obviously, back to to um, Gamma Free uh, Adventure of Aris. It's I really I really, I mean I really enjoy this. My favourite the trilogy, um, whether it's my favourite Gamma movie of all time, I think it's up there, but I'm not sure if it's it's my all-time favorite i think there's a couple of others that i would put above it but um it's certainly one that's worth worth checking out certainly and um the ending in particular i have to say is it, it it takes the word badass to a whole new level would you say
0: oh uh, yeah perhaps well, absolutely um i i i just i really enjoy all three of these films and uh, i i'm not the kaiju guy right i don't know anything think of his height, hokey-er past. Um, I think we spoke before, didn't we? When I said, "Oh, I like camera," and you like sneered at me because I might have said I prefer, I might have preferred it a little to um to most Godzilla films. Yeah, Did well I, that that's uh, understandable. <laughs> I mean, it's <laughs> I'm definitely part of a different gang. I, think... but, um, I I just think there's a maturity to them and a complexity to them. I mean, they're not deep. They're not going to win Oscars or anything, are they? But there is. So much going on, you're not going to get bored. No, you're going to get confused. You're going to think that's a bit weird. Um, But there's a level of maturity, so questions being asked. You know, there's the badass fighting shit, yeah. But there's also (laughs) stuff like oh, it's talking about um, ecology and uh, collateral damage, and we actually get an answer to why does Japan always get attacked by giant monsters. (laughs) don't like the answer, but you know, at least, <laughs> at least it answer. tries. It, it it likes at least it tries, you know. I, I just really, really enjoyed it and I think you probably knew I was going to. Um although it was chosen by our audience, so maybe I could have had a worse experience.
1: There was some interesting tiles. I mean there was obviously there was tiles on the list which I think we may have gone down that more sort of hokeier sort of route and uh, again, I mean even though these films are sort of hokey, they're still they're still fun, they're still very proficient filmmaking uh, despite what a lot of snark casters would have you believe and they go a lot deeper than sort of like you know uh, men in monster suits sort of having (laughs) wrestling with each other and outlandish plots there's uh, there's often a lot more going on and same with this trilogy it tried to do something a little deeper with the actual films Um, and certainly the the darker tone makes them really sort of stand out from the godzilla movies even though you'd think oh it's just you know it's a godzilla movie just this time it's like a giant fire breathing turtle that also can fly um which isn't is a fun enough pre- premise on its own without obviously adding all this sort of like death it adds spirituality and mythology and um as you said new age stuff <laughs> uh, to uh, the proceedings which sort of it, don't, it only makes worse and i love the premise of this idea that this girl is so fueled by rage the fact that she goes and finds herself a monster to go and fight gamera um and the fact it evolves from just like a cute little dinosaur to uh this hooking essence stealing beast uh, that's like framed in fire whenever we see it in it's full full size so
0: i i really actually i really like that um that sort of story cycle of um of Ayana, where it, it takes her bloody ages to see reason, doesn't it? <laughs> well, this is—I mean, this is. But, but so actually, I hey. thought that was. But I thought that was yeah, quite realistic because uh, you know there were several points in the story where she could have calmed her. Oh yeah, it's all right, really. Oh, I've been such a silly girl for thinking this. I mean, she's committed to it till ten minutes from the end of the film. Um, it takes quite a lot for her to suddenly realise that she's become a bigger monster than Gamma ever was, or that she's the host of the bigger monster. Um, and I, re- I really like that. I, th- I thought that you know it could have been a petulant little schoolgirl, and it could have been annoying. But I, I actually felt it was. Um, I thought it was justified. You know, she lost her parents. And a cat. And a cat. And a cat. Don't forget about the cat. Which is why the monster's called Iris. Because it's the same name as a cat, isn't it? Yep. And, um, but yeah. I, I, yeah and, and I also like the way they brought the other characters back. You know, the um a couple of them from the first film as well. Um, and just gave it a cohesive sense that this really was a trilogy. And not just three films that happened to star Gamma and have the same director.
1: Yeah, I mean, we obviously bring back um, Inspector Osako from the first. Oh, film. I about him. Yes, and um, he's now basically like a homeless drunk. And I wonder why did we bring him back? Because he doesn't really do anything in this film apart from to give um, to give sort of like some sort of connection to bring the films together, and um, really to give give uh, Miyumi a sort of like psychic of sorts, but he doesn't really do much at all in this film at all, it made me wonder it's why we like The we're film is back.
0: populated with a lot of people, isn't it? And yeah, she sees him in the street and she goes, oh, it's like this drunk osaka Oh, no, 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 not me. That's not, <laughs> that's not me. And then and then, 20 minutes later, he's sort of by her side because well, shit's gone down and he's sobered up by being hit by chunks of flaming gyos, <laughs> <Gaios>, hasn't he? <laughs> yeah,
1: that's the thing, it's sort like with Gamma, he's sort of like a heroic character, but he's not very good at it. It's sort of like I've got these amazing, amazing abilities, so I can like breathe fire and I can fight other giant monsters. But at the same time, I'm just going to cause massive destruction. So people are going to wonder well, why are you doing this.
0: <clears throat> and it, and that's a bit about the kid bit that makes makes no sense because you know if he's a force of nature and is fairly ignorant of the human beings and he's just doing what he's been designed to do, which is to kill Gaius. Um, I get that. And I, I, you know, that, 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 that's an interesting thing in itself. And I suspect that's actually what the new Godzilla film that we were talking about earlier is possibly going for these monsters and, you know, what can we do? We are nothing to them and they don't really know us, but then that he can see and understand this little seven year old boy is, needs to be saved is, um, it's something I have a sort of a, cir- a, c- a circle I have trouble squaring um but it's still you know what we expecting <laughs> <laughs> it's,
1: it's... cool um further viewing? Unless uh, and else you, know, you want to discuss on this one
0: no, I think I'm done I'm just just again want to reiterate really good film okay. um further viewing see I really struggled with this because. <laughs> The obvious way to go would be one of the other Gamera films yep. by Shizuke Kaneko. Um, I especially like the first one. And I would definitely, if you were going to watch this, watch the... I know, I know you said that it sort of stands alone, but some of the supporting characters make a bit more sense when you've seen the first film. Um, I then thought, actually, Shizuke Kaneko, he's our first repeated director, I think, isn't he? He's the first guy that we've spoken about two of his films.
1: Yep, he obviously directed Death Note as well.
0: And so I was going to suggest another one of his films, which is Azumi 2, Death on Love. Now, the original Azumi, not done by him, it's a fantastic film and it's on my list to try and talk about this year. But Azumi 2 is really entertaining as well. I mean, it's not as it's not as clever as the first film. But um, it's got a few names and faces in it that are recognizable including Jackie Kuriyama is in it from Kill Bill and Battle Royale and plenty of other things as is Imaeda who is um uh, Ayana in this film so uh you can link up a director and a star in it as well
1: yeah definitely i'm um, just I'll look so i know that um Oh, the girl from Kill As I said, the girl from Kill Is that? Yep, Chucky. Oh, sorry, my mistake. Okay, i to shut up now. <laughs> uh, so, what about you? Okay, uh, if you, I mean, obviously, more obviously, the most obvious one would be we go and pair up with something from Godzilla. But um, just obviously saying on the the Godzilla, the gamma sort of tact. Um, there are some there are some fun ones there, especially if we look at the shower period for gamma movies, which uh, runs between nineteen sixty five and nineteen eighty. Um, there are some uh, there are some there are some fun titles. There. I mean, obviously, Gamma and the Giant Monster is probably the best place to start with those. I mean, that was released uh, way back in nineteen sixty six. Sorry, nineteen sixty-five. I'm uh, getting my knees confused here because it was released in American uh, the following year as Gamma the Invincible. But, and they also spoke Gamma really weird because they spoke G-A-M-M-E-R-A instead of you know the proper word, which is G-A-M-E-R-A. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean it's a fun little black and white uh monster movie and the only one in the series to be shot in black and white but i think it's a good starting point for this series as you as you said right for this i mean you can watch the whole this insight period um and start with of the universe of in 95 and uh, to watch these three films and i think that's really uh, a fun fun one um the one i'm going to pair it with is a little of a random choice but i think it's still a um a film that uh, you may get a kick out of, um, and this is a North Korean uh, kaiju movie called Pugasari and it's what I'm going to talk about a little later, sort of show. And uh, this is actually d- uh, directed on the orders of Kim Jong Il, um, and he basically uh, kidnapped the director and his wife. Um, this is directed by Shin Sang-ok. And uh, he basically, as I said, he uh, kidnapped the director's wife not only to teach him filmmaking techniques, because he was a renowned film buff, um, rumoured to own one of the largest movie collections in the world, and basically kidnapped this director to make a number of films, and one of these films being Pugasari, which has been seen by many as a sort of communist propaganda movie in the fact that uh, we have this giant monster, uh, which is... Stomping over a feudal career, and uh, it's only by the villagers teaming together in the spirit of communism, no less, that they're able to uh, defeat the monster. But uh, this is a film which has got some really interesting uh, monster sequences. Most interestingly, of all, when they not only capture the monster in a cage, but also have it completely ablaze. So this is a man in a monster suit inside a blazing cage. Uh, which anyone who knows anything about uh, sort of Asian health and safety probably wouldn't be surprised that they did such a thing. I mean, this is... With these films, I mean, it's not uh, unheard of for actors to be spray-painted uh, while inside the monster suits. In, when they, in cases when they wanted to reuse the monster suits. But uh, Pugasari is a really uh, fun... N- fun movie from uh, North Korea from 1985 and one that's definitely worth, uh, worth checking out uh, even if it is a little controversial because of the communist themes throughout so uh, those would be my two sort of picks for you
0: and kind of interesting because the story of Sheen sang Ok, the director is going to be in one of my um, dark tales so uh, that, that'll, that'll be a nice tie up if we ever get that far
1: fantastic um well, this brings us to the end, not only of uh, end of this uh, year's recording for uh, the Ed and Cinema Film Club, uh, as we wrap up 2018 with uh, another fun episode, uh, another fun addition to our ongoing Kaiju Christmas uh, franchise. You know, get to look forward to Anime, Quesar Kwanzaa, Mickey March, <laughs> other mums we can attach torture puns to. But, uh, yeah, I mean, certainly as we look to 2019, I think it's safe to say we, we've got plenty of exciting things coming up. We've obviously got our top 50 list coming out. We're going to be having looking at more films. We're going to have more features on the blog, so we're going to have more mixtapes. We're going to have more episodes of the movie and Anime Vault. Um, and, uh, you know, we're going to have more guests and more than likely more Zobo as well for you because we know you folks love... Uh, but when Zobo Zoe's on the show so I would not be surprised if she uh, makes a few more appearances as well so but uh if you if there are any films you would like to see us cover please do let us know on Facebook or Twitter uh you can let us know on the blog uh which as we said already is wordpress.com and uh, all episodes can be found both on podomatic iTunes, Spotify or through thatmomentin.com's podcast network um, as well as our blog. So, definitely plenty of ways to uh, catch up on any episodes you might have missed. And, uh, you know, let us know the films you want to uh, see us covering. So, I mean, any sort of final thoughts for 2018, Stephen? Or?
0: No, I've just been really enjoyable yet again. It was nice uh, thinking about what had been successful and not successful this year. We go from strength to strength. I've even stopped saying I'm surprised we've had another episode. Um but then I've just broken it by saying that. And all I can say is next year we'll do more of the same, I think. Um we'll 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 upset a few people along the way, but hopefully we'll both find some new films to tell everybody about. Yeah.
1: Well, thank you as always for listening. Thank you, of course, to my co host, Mr. Stephen Palmer. The
0: pleasure is all mine. Um,
1: <laughs> and uh as always, uh, this is John uh, signing off another edition of Asian Cinema Film Club, and uh, wishing you all a very merry Kaiju Christmas and a happy New Year. And we will see you in 2019 for more dives into the wonderful world of Asian cinema. Until then, good night.
0: Hey! Hey!
1: 昨日のことは忘れて昨日の跡は忘れ昨日やいばが燃える思い